you don't have to. We're sharing everything. Um, <laughs> Welcome to Recotopia, a happy home for recommended movies, shows, and music from two people you can definitely trust. Trustability varies by region, no guarantee is implied. Aaron Dicer and Jeremy Scott. My husband. You were anxious to talk to him, weren't you? Yeah, I was, but uh, I'm sort of getting over the idea, if you know what I mean. There's a speed limit in this state, Mr. Neff. 45 miles an hour. How fast was I going, officer? I'd say around 90. Hello, everybody. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night, whatever it may be at your time in the world. It is Recotopia, episode 76. I'm Jeremy Scott. And I'm Aaron Dicer. Hey, everybody in the chat. Thanks for coming out again. Uh, I even saw two people pop into the chat just to say I won't be able to join this week. And I love that that community uh, is so tight. Uh, and we love your input to the show and live reactions. Uh, this week's big recommend is Double Indemnity. But before we get into that goodness, Aaron, mm -hmm. do you have any small recommends this week? It's no big deal. It's so small and light. It's small. It's tiny. It's petite. It's wee. Oh boy, do I ever. Uh, let's start with television. Um, I have a, a really good friend who sometimes turns me on to great pop culture. His name's Jeremy. And one day he said, hey, Aaron, have you ever seen this Naked and Afraid show? I'm addicted to it. <laughs> and I said, nope, haven't watched the Naked and Afraid show, but I'll give it a chance. And he was right. Uh, very entertaining stuff. Naked people trying to survive and uh, really, really enjoyed it. Enjoyed it so much, in fact, that I went on a Naked and Afraid journey and saw every single episode uh, that the show has put out, which is a lot of episodes. It sure is. Uh, I am now on my journey through the side shows, the spinoff shows. Uh, there's been one recently, Naked and Afraid Alone, um, mm. I think came out. Uh, there's, of course, the Naked and Afraid XL, which is like, you know, some of the, the legends and the people who've done really well going on a longer, you know, journey uh, with no clothing and survival. Uh, the latest one to come out is Naked and Afraid, Last One Standing. Now, this on. one aired over the last couple months um, on Discovery and is just now hitting max. I think it hit max last week, and so that's where I've been watching it. And this brings back, like, the legends of the legends. Uh, if you've watched any Naked and Afraid or Naked and Afraid XL, you know a lot of these people. You know uh, Jeff. You know Matt. You know... Um, Steven, like th those are like the three big names in Naked and Afraid, and then all these others. Uh, Gary is another big one. Um, this one is different. It kind of wants to be Naked and Afraid Survivor, okay. except for all the contestants but one decided not to play the Survivor. They just decided to play Naked and Afraid. Jeff okay. was the only one out there who was like, oh, maybe if I get these tools and don't let these people have them. And he gets completely ostracized by everybody on the show for being a jerk and selfish and whatever. And he's like, I'm just playing the game that's put in front of me. And everybody's like, you don't have to. We're sharing everything. Um, <laughs> that's Anyhow. wild. 
It is wild, and I really, really enjoyed it. I love games like this that have that social dynamic, and this, even more than the other Naked and Afraids, which all have some sort of social dynamic, uh, has a lot of that. And it really speaks to our inability to see past our own narrative. And this goes for both Jeff and kind of this, like, mean girls-type group that forms around hating him. Like, you know, like, there's neither one of them are able to see how they're kind of all being jerks to each mm. other in one way or another. Um, and I just love thinking about that kind of stuff. And uh, when it's naked people trying to survive in Africa, uh, all the better. So I will just to defend myself a little bit. I believe when I told you about this show, I focused on the social aspect. Yes, you did, because you know me. Yeah. Not the naked aspect. <laughs> did, I, did I make it sound like it was the nudity that you were interested no, in? No, you didn't. <laughs> okay. I wanted to All clarify right. to the listeners just in case. Um, because even back when it was just a man and a woman uh, trying to survive for 21 days, there was always fascinating social yes. stuff yes. that came out of every episode. Um, and I was, I mean, I was interested in the hunting and whatnot, but I was much more interested in how they got along. Did they get along? Why not? There was always somebody seemed like that wouldn't cuddle for body warmth because they were too prudish about their marriage Correct. or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, why are you on this show? If <laughs> you aren't going to do one of the basic, right. Obvious things to survive. Yeah. Uh, but I have not seen the last one standing. You've now seen probably way more naked and afraid than I have. Mm -hmm. um, but um, I do know that on Sundays, uh, they tend to run marathons throughout the afternoon. And I sometimes find myself there uh, while Yeah, I'm they working. might be running it. I Like I said, I know it's on Max. Uh, all 10 episodes are on Max now. Um, yeah, it's not about the... Look, there are many places I could go see butts. Like, it's just like, you know, it's like, it's, that's not what it's about. Um, it's just kind of the, the hook, you know, yeah. for, for the show and, and it, you know, a survival element to it as well. Like you don't have any of your comforts, including yeah. your clothing. Um, so yeah, yeah man, man, the caveman didn't have blue jeans. Why should you, <laughs> um, also, also I will say about the nudity, uh, since we brought it up. There are very few places in our culture where naturalistic nudity of all types of bodies is a norm. Usually nudity is reserved for quote unquote, you know, culturally sexy people or, you know, whatever. Yeah. This is one of those places. And I think that's a net positive. I really do. I think we oh, yeah. need to see more normal bodies. All of us do. Um, yep. So, yeah. Anyhow. Yeah, indeed. I think the first time my wife found out I was watching a show called Naked and Afraid, she came in and looked at the TV and was like, okay, I'm not worried about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, my first small recommend this week is a film that I saw last week um, from 2022 called Devotion. Um, now, I will give you the caveat that Jonathan Majors uh, is the star of this film and is currently embroiled in some legal PR merc. And I don't know how that's going to work out. And if you have already chosen to start avoiding him and his work, I respect that decision. Um, but until I feel like I have more information, uh, I'm still going to consume what work of his I see 
in front of me. So and I've that's seen. before we even get to the conversation about what different levels we all have of comfortability with parts of something yeah. being from somebody who we disagree with or who has done bad things. Yeah. Um, it's a tough conversation. You know, there are hundreds, thousands of people that work on these movies and, you know, which one of them, you know, does it matter and how, how much does it matter? So, yeah, all those conversations. So I just think it's funny that Glenn Powell was in two uh, <laughs> high-profile uh, military plane movies in the same year, um, but he has a lot more to work with here as an actor. Uh, have you seen this? I have, yeah. Okay. Um, this movie is basically, it's based on a true story. It's set during the Korean War. Uh, it's about a friendship uh, between a, the, the only black pilot in the squadron um, and a white pilot in the squadron who has recently transferred in. And th this person that Jonathan Majors is playing, playing uh, Jesse Brown, uh, he faced a lot of open racism um, in his military career. And that is one of the main focuses of the movie and the fact that their friendship overcomes uh, what is at that point in time basically indoctrinated racism in the military. There's even, a, you know, the, the black people on the aircraft carrier are almost exclusively, you know, privates and cooks and whatnot. And there's even a scene where they're like, we're proud of you. And, you know, every time you take off, you know, we're rooting for you. You, uh, you inspire us. Um, the, the action in the air, I thought, was surprisingly good. Um, and uh, there's a couple of hilarious coincidences, I think, to the plot from Top Gun Maverick, mm -hmm. um, just because Glenn, Glenn, pa, Glenn Powell being in both of them, uh, I can't help but think about it. But I thought this was extremely well acted uh, and pretty moving. Uh, I think it's an 80-something on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, 81. So uh, it looks like I'm not alone. Paramount Plus and Showtime is where you can watch Devotion right now if you want, and that is my first small recommend. I think you put it perfectly. Incredible performances and moving material, and that's what that's what makes the, the movie well. Overall, execution is kind of tropey and cliched at times. Like, sure. you know, it's it goes to the same place as a lot of these kinds of movies go. However, I do think the performances notch it up uh, quite a bit. I think both Glenn and Jonathan Majors uh, give incredible performances in the movie. Uh, what's your second small recommend, Aaron? My second small recommend is in the area of movies. It's a little movie called Barbenheimer. Oh, uh, oh. <laughs> oh. oh my. Are we doing a twofer? <laughs> Well, you have to when you talk about Barbie and Oppenheimer, I think, okay. um, I, because the whole cultural conversation, I thought I'd just hit on the both. And honestly, they're a lot more similar than you would think. And I have very similar things to say, which is it's so good to see our top notch directors just make top notch material. Um, you know, uh, Nolan and Gerwig are both really, really impressing me. Uh, I think they're both geniuses in their own way. I love how Barbie is this almost deep philosophical treatise on um, gender and sexuality and feminism and all these things and is at the same time just a drop dead hilarious comedy. Um, everybody in this movie is so good, so funny. Gosling, uh, I think, gets the lion's share of the laughs. He's so hilarious in this, which if you've seen The Nice Guys, you know Gosling can be super timing. funny. So yeah, Barbie's great. And then Oppenheimer is just something I haven't quit thinking about, about you know um, how Nolan uses these ideas of fission and fusion and 
how the chain reactions in our lives go from you know small to big or big to small and um it's just it's it's really smart which you'd expect from nolan i really enjoyed both of these movies i'm on a tear right now with asteroid city dead reckoning barbie and oppenheimer it is a good time to be a movie fan aside from the fact that there will be no movies in a couple months um (laughs) i had an interesting conversation with my friend patrick patrick yesterday about dead reckoning and whether or not the part one in the title is partly to blame for its lackluster performance at the box box Mm. office. I I thought that movie was absolutely going to dominate after what Top Gun Maverick did. A lot of people did. And I also threw out, is it possible maybe we've reached a Tom Cruise fatigue? (laughs) Um, Like, I don't know. It could be. It's always hard to know. There, there, There are a million different little things that can impact. Like, do you... Do you think Barbie makes, by the way, $163 million domestic its Unreal. opening weekend? Biggest movie of the year. Beats out Mario Brothers mm-hmm. for the biggest opening of the year. Do you think it makes that money without the Barbenheimer phenomenon? Do you no. think there's an element of culture that just grabs onto something and you have to see it or else mm. you're out of the conversation? I think that was entirely fabricated by stealth PR. I'm not even Mm -hmm. a little bit joking. There were multiple stories about the Barbie movie that did not make sense to me. Mm-hmm. They they used up all the pink paint in the world was a, was an article that went viral. Um, uh, Ryan Gosling says he was born to play Ken, and if you don't agree, then you don't know Ken. That felt like a really stupid thing to go viral and <laughs> manufactured. And then they started with the Barbenheimer, and I am absolutely convinced that was started by the studios uh to boost and i and i I think it worked so well they're going to do it again and again and again i think it was probably a combination of a the natural instinct of two big movies that are that seem so different in tone coming out at the same time and people commenting on that and then studios going hmm what if we stoke this fire in all the ways see Um, i I am too cynical. I don't think the public started any of that. I think I think they I think we're played by top 40 music. I mean, I think we're played by everything. Um so I'm too cynical, but you may be right. I don't really know. I just feel like there have been this, this is just counter programming. This has happened for the last 50 years of film distribution. I used to see it every single weekend because every single weekend multiple films would come out especially oh, yeah, in the this summer. used to be the norm <laughs> right a romantic comedy almost always counter programs against a big action film that's just what well, you and sometimes do. there'd be two action films that would come out the same weekend it, just, it was... <laughs> but that is considered more dangerous from a booking mm-hmm. standpoint you want yeah. to avoid like mission impossible dead reckoning really picked a bad date because they got steamrolled and i don't think they're ever going to come back because people are going to barbenheimer over and over again just to say they did yeah they'll and try. then the studios started sending their stars and directors to take pictures with tickets in front of both movies mm-hmm. and that only fueled from there i want to do what tom cruise and greta gerwig did um so to me i'm just thankful that it sounds like both movies are really good because i would have been really disappointed <laughs> if we all got played and the movies were just kind of disappointing yeah um, it, it reminds like- me it reminds me a lot of the like uh, the gentle minions thing. Um, you know, it's just that something happens in youth culture or whatever, and it just becomes 
something that the studios lean into. Um, but yeah. 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 I know. I think Warner was pretty ticked actually when, when Barbie landed on their day, if I remember correctly. Um, but I think they're doing it about face now. Cause I don't think, I don't think it took very long for somebody no. to convince them, Hey, we no. can use this to our advantage. Yeah. And, and look, even the graphic you're using on screen was fan created and mm -hmm. that yes. people have run with that. People have created shirts and worn mm -hmm. the shirt of that art to see yep. both movies. Yep. Um, but I still think the seed was planted uh, from a marketing standpoint. And, yep. uh, anyway, um, that's a conversation for a completely different type of podcast. Um, <laughs> my second small recommend is another film. Um, so I promise one of these days, kids, I'm going to get back to food and drink. But um, <laughs> I, I've seen this movie before, but I saw again last week, A Simple Favor from 2018 um, with uh, Anna Kendrick and Blake Lively, basically, and Henry Golden. And I didn't see this movie when it came out. And Chris had to push me because uh, I just didn't see what, I didn't see anything that interested me. And he was like, this is the most Jeremy movie I've seen in a long time. And I said, okay, I'll watch it. And I watched it and he was right because he knows me well. Um, and it is the right balance of mystery and humor. Uh, Anna Kendrick meets Blake Lively. They both have kids in the same class um, and they bond rapidly. And then Blake Lively shows up dead in a lake. Um, and Anna Kendrick starts bonding with, Blake Lively's widowed husband. Uh, I don't want to say anymore, um, but it takes <laughs> twists and turns. It's a fun little modern noir uh, for a half second. I thought about making this my double feature for double indemnity. Mm. I think that would have worked fairly well, um, but it is not. Um, and uh, you can watch A Simple Favor on uh, MGM Plus or Amazon Prime Video if you would like to check it out if you haven't yet. Um, it's just a nice, breezy, fun murdery mystery kind of deal so there you go it's got it's uh it handles its competing tones really really well it does. um and th there is some stuff that feels out of place in the movie in my opinion there's some really over the top comedy stuff that i think uh paul feig couldn't help himself with it feels like it goes a little bit too far but like all of the rate um the relationship stuff and uh the plot stuff and the mystery stuff works really really well and these performances are great it's Blake easily Lively my favorite so good. paul feig movie easily. oh yeah all right it's time everybody for this week's big recommend i'm fine i'm fine it's just that you're so big it's so huge it's a good rule but this is bigger than rules it's bigger on the inside is it i noticed aaron this is your offering to the group why don't you take mm -hmm. us away uh, Double Indemnity is 1944. It is a Billy Wilder film. Um, I am a recent convert to the Billy Wilder uh, Church of Amazingness. Um, <laughs> just in I, kind of the Sorkin of his time, maybe just an incredible writer that really uses uh the english language as a way to create energy and this this movie is a great example of that it is one of his early films it is the definition of film noir uh and uh through its conceit which is this uh fred mcmurray plays a, an insurance salesman who through his journeys meets up with this woman who wants uh to know about accident insurance uh mm. because maybe she wants to get rid of her husband uh they have an immediate striking chemistry and 
despite him knowing that he is holding on to a hot poker, as the the movie says, he cannot let go. Um, it is the power of boners of the movie uh, oh, yeah. in in many ways uh, because she has him under uh, her spell. He works with a a boss who has the little man inside, so he's like the best at gauging when something's off. Because you, when you're in the insurance business, you got to be ready for people to try to pull one over on you. There's an early scene where somebody comes in and is trying to pull one over on him and he completely gets them. This is Edward G. Oh. Robinson, by the way, playing this boss character. Yeah. Um, <sighs> and maybe the best performance in the movie. He's so yeah. good in this movie. And um, I already didn't want to do it because it was the third high, a third biggest role. Uh -huh. But then he realized this is a new era of my career and I can do good work uh, in this role. And I think he nearly steals the movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Fred McMurray uh, tells her no when it gets a little bit more blatant, like, can we kill my husband kind of thing. He says no. He goes back home. She then comes over and he says, you know, I knew this was happening and they end up hatching a plan and kind of falling for each other. Or are they falling for each other or are they just spiders with webs? Mm. Uh, the movie will get into showing us a little bit more. Uh, so they go through this scam and it's one of those movies which is really interesting to me because it doesn't play the pieces as mysteries. It plays them as a progressive plot. So mm. they are telling you what they're doing as they're doing it. And the fact that this movie can do that and still remain interesting, I think, is a big plus in the movie's favor because it's not necessarily trying to hold information from you it's just revealing things as they go along so the plot involves getting a signature so that he signs to have this accident insurance without knowing he has this accident insurance it involves this intricate double indemnity plan where the uh, payout can be twice as much if it happens on a train so they have this big train plan where they actually kill him on the way to the train he becomes the double in the train and then falls off quote unquote the back of the train there are witnesses to him being on there and then they replace the body near where he would have fallen off and then in a beautiful scene they get back in the car and the car won't start one of the best examples of the car won't start cliche that i've ever seen yep um yep, because you're waiting <laughs> i'm sorry to interrupt no uh, go you're for it waiting all movie for for the thing that's going to go wrong to go wrong yes and when you think it's that like they're screwed. They are so screwed. Mm -hmm. I mean, they end up screwed anyway, but if that car doesn't start, they are screwed. And I love that the movie just flips that on its ear. And mm -hmm. yeah, maybe the first instance of the car not starting in the film. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it really is kind of a perfect murder movie. It's a very Hitchcockian feel in that way. Hitchcock loved to think about the perfect murder. And uh, that is definitely what he's doing here, going through all the details. And yet, after everything goes perfectly, he has this little part where he just can't shake the feeling that it's still gonna go wrong somehow. They're past all the, the hard stuff and he just can't 
uh, shake that feeling. The head guy at the insurance tries to push suicide and is completely owned <laughs> by Keys uh, in that scene when he goes through all the suicide actuarials and uh, and lays all that out. Um, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, but then Keys gets stuck on the broken leg. Uh, and then there's this whole section. They have a, a daughter of the the husband that was killed who's going through this thing with a boyfriend and she starts to tell Fred McMurray's character that maybe her mom's a psychopath or not her mom, but her stepmom is a psychopath and actually killed her actual mom by poisoning her. Like there was a smile on her face. She tells him that she knew that, that, uh, that she was trying on a black veil before her dad had his accident, uh, as if practicing her mourning. Um, so it becomes clear that she knows a little bit more, um, so then they both plan to tie up their loose ends, uh, which means to get rid of each other and blame it on this other uh, guy. She gets a shot off against him, hits him, wounds him, um, and he then comes up to her and she cannot take the second shot, but he very coldly shoots her twice and kills her. Um, and then the, uh, the film, by the way, takes place bookended already at the end of the film, you know, another, uh, you know, possible trope or cliche. Now the, I bet you're wondering how I got here cliche yeah. the in medias res, uh, but it's a great example of this, not just because, uh, we are want, you know, wondering what happened, but also it sets up the narration. It's a beautiful thing where the, the film noir, which is known for this, you know, narrating, uh, and then the dame walked in and whatever. Yeah. You actually know he's sitting wounded in his office talking into a dictaphone to record all this for his boss. Uh, and then we find out his boss has been listening to him record the last part for a while. Um, and then uh, he thinks he's going to get away, uh, but he can't even get to the elevators. And uh, one of the most beautiful endings uh, in movies where he says uh, to the to the boss, you know why you couldn't figure out it was me? It was because I was too close. I was right across the desk from you. And his boss says it was even closer than that. And he says, I love you too. And it's, I just, I love the end of this movie. I love so much of this movie. Uh, we're not shown if he dies or not. Um, he's dead. I think he's dead. Yeah. I think it doesn't matter what happens after that, whether the police show up before he dies or not. I, I think he dies, but, uh, but there you go. That is double, double indemnity. Uh, Jeremy, I'm very excited to hear what you thought. Loved it. I loved it. Uh, you stole one of my best notes about how genius it was to use the dictaphone as the device to get that noir narration into the film uh, without him actually narrating. I thought that was brilliant um i love the movie i thought fred mcmurray was like you said uh, better than i would have expected given mm -hmm. what i'm knowing i know him from uh ever g robinson was incredible um especially that suicide stat rant but earlier there's a scene where the guy's tr guy burned up his own business van and is trying to get the insurance but he has already investigated and found the kindling under the van and knows this guy burned his own truck or whatever and sends him out and the guy stops at the door and <laughs> Keith says you forget how to open a door put your hand <laughs> on the knob turn it to the left now pull it towards you uh, I just thought that whole scene was awesome I love McMurray's facial expressions um, I think he does more work 
uh, in scenes where he's not speaking uh, than he does in scenes where he is speaking, especially after the murder, as he's involved in conversations like Keys comes to him saying, OK, he broke his leg and had accident insurance. Why wouldn't he? It's one hundred thousand dollars or fifty thousand dollars. Why wouldn't he come get that? And, and McMurray plays it extremely well as it's a slow burn until he finally gets to that point where he's like, no, we're done. We're out. We can't, we have to stop. We can't sue them. We have to run. We have to get out of here. And at that point, he still doesn't know she's playing him. So mm-hmm. he is both, I wrote, Walter's not a good guy. He's also very stupid. Um, <laughs> because if you don't, if you're not vexed by her from the first moment you see her on the balcony and you see that anklet on her, that anklet is what just tantalizes him. If that doesn't happen, he sees through her every step of the way. But because he's mesmerized, because he's fallen, I, I don't know how she knows, except she's probably got experience doing this, manipulating people, manipulating mm-hmm. men. Um, I also figured from the outset that she was the one that was going to shoot him. Uh, I was not surprised when I saw her put the gun under the cushion. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was surprised that she simply didn't fire again, and he shot her. That surprised me a lot. And then he goes out and tells the bad, possibly abusive boyfriend, get out of here, go back to Lola. Um, And I guess ultimately he's doing that for Lola's sake, um, even though I think that boyfriend is not a good person. Um, Yeah. um, But yeah, I, I was surprised how much I liked it. Uh, I was surprised how many times he said the word baby. Um, (laughs) But some of the notes I wrote um, in the opening scene when he comes into his office and starts the dictaphone, he he lights a cigarette. And then he sets it on the edge of the desk right in front of him with the burning end hanging off. Mm. I'm a former smoker. I've done that. But he's got an ashtray five inches away from there with rests for a cigarette. And I had to pause the movie and go, what is he doing? That doesn't make any sense. Like it'll burn. It's going to, this is how you start fires. It's not using an ashtray when you have one. Uh, I love the bit about the super fancy Spanish mansion probably cost him 30,000 bucks. If he ever paid it off, I I died (laughs) laughing. Um, just at inflation in general. It's wild. Uh, well, in the fifty thousand and one hundred thousand that they're dealing with too would be like one million, two million today. If not if not more. Yeah. yeah if not more. Yeah. It's just the, the inflation was uh hilarious. Um I don't like this thing they do in the forties where a man squeezes a woman's shoulders and lifts her up to kiss mm. him. Mm-hmm. Uh I think that's a product of the era. Mm-hmm. But it rubs me the wrong way. He does it several times in this movie. There's there's a there's a, a definite male aggression to sexuality uh, that is prominent in culture. I think even today, like I think it's just it's you know, um, it's kind of part of 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 that whole thing. Yeah, like, you know the the force. Well, she even says at one and, point, yeah. "You're hurting me." Like mm-hmm. he squeeze and he squeezes again, and I was like, "Oh, don't stop squeezing." Um, <laughs> He's really dismissive of her early on. Like when when she comes to his apartment, he makes a drink and sa- hands it to her and says, here, see if you can carry that as far as the living room. Mm-hmm. Basically <laughs> insulting her. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I wrote that I love the car fake out. Um, and then he says near the end, what I didn't know was that she had plans of her own. And I wrote in all caps, you didn't know that? <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I really enjoyed this ride. Um, and yeah, it is probably deserving of being on those lists of best movies ever um and yeah. it makes me 
really want to dive more into the church of Billy Wilder awesomeness. You should, man. I, I am, like I said, a recent convert. I've watched a bunch of it. Have you seen like The Apartment? Have you watched The Apartment? I have like, not. Dude, I'm telling you, there's some there's some amazing Billy Wilder stuff. It really is interesting to me how how it feels like a Sorkin thing where you just you watch his movies and you're just like, oh, real humans probably don't talk like that, but it's so fun to watch people talk like that. Yeah. I'll go over some of my favorite um uh lines. Uh the the sexual tension right from the beginning when she's in the towel. Uh, and he's like, uh, anything I can do, um, you know, and, and he says, I'd hate for you to have an incident where you're not fully covered. Yeah. Uh, and it's just like all that stuff is layered in there. Uh, let's see. What was another one? Oh, was just fixing some iced tea. You want some? Unless you've got a bottle of beer that's not working, um, <laughs> which I think is so great. Just the fixing an iced I don't know. I just I love that kind he's of stuff. He's really derisive of her iced tea, too, man. It yeah. Nasty. Yeah. Yeah. What are you, British? Uh, so, and he's not a good guy. I don't know if we no. made that clear. Like, I don't think anybody's a good guy in this movie and it's worth talking about because we get into this conversation sometimes about, oh, we need somebody who, you know, is a hero that we feel good about in a movie. And it's just not always the case. You need to be compelled by something. Now that could be somebody you're rooting for. You could have a rooting interest in a character because you like them and you, you know, movies do use that, but they also use other things to compel audiences and, you know, I, I think the the boss is our good guy in this movie, if there is one. I think he's the one, yep. you know, we're, we're probably supposed to root for. But he doesn't have, like, a motivating factor. Like, he's not our protagonist. No. Our protagonist is is a jerk and a womanizer and a murderer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Uh, yep. Then there's that whole thing where uh, she's like, the speed limit's 45. And he's like, yeah. what'd you clock me at, officer? <laughs> Uh, 90. Uh, and then there's a part about, uh, how about, um, at the end, she's like, how about you cry on my husband's shoulder? And he's like, well, that tears it. And he yep. leaves. Yep. I just thought all that stuff was so good. Um, I love the way he lights matches with mm. his thumb. It does just, it all movie long. Yeah. It's, I feel it's, like that is impossible. <laughs> like I don't, I, I couldn't get my head around the science of that. Like it must've been a different kind of match. Like it must've been a friction match that had a real, had to have been. I've seen men, men, I don't know why I'm getting sexist. I've seen people <laughs> take a, a paper matchbook and use one hand and light a match that way, but I've never seen a single mm -hmm. match and use, a, use your finger or thumb. It's a pretty cool trick. Yeah. Um, at the end of that encounter, he says, uh, I um, or she says, I wonder if I know what you mean. And he says, I wonder if you wonder. Yeah. Uh, just a beautiful retort there. Um, there's a line later on that the boss says where a guy's like, one of my favorite osteopaths is in town. <laughs> the boss says, osteopath? Don't put her on the expense report. It's uh, <laughs> hilarious. Um, then there are these, these movie-making moments that I want to make sure I mention. Right at the beginning, you mentioned the anklet. It's this real key piece of what's going on. Now, there is... I read an urban legend or a rumor that an anklet at times was a way for a woman to indicate her availability, even if she was married, like that oh, that wow. was something that a woman would use to say that that's an urban legend I read about could be true, maybe not whatever. But what I do know is in that scene, she's sitting with her foot up that has the anklet on it, right? He spots it, says something about it. She puts her foot down to hide it. Mm -hmm. uh, and then gets up and walks around. He says a little more and about accident insurance, 
and she has an idea. She's walking by the fireplace. She has an idea. As soon as she has that idea, she goes back, sits down, and puts that same foot over where the ankle is right in front of his face again. Mm. Like, it's a very clear indication she has shifted. She has now made a choice. I found my mark. I found who I can use. Now I'm going to seduce them. Mm. Um, and it's just a, a really subtle thing that I actually hadn't picked up on until uh, this time uh, through the film. Um, the way the camera stays on her during the murder, she honks the horn and it just stays with her while he's, you know, killing you hear it, but her don't husband see it. and you hear it, but don't see it. I thought was really, really cool. Uh, and then when he enters the room in the final kind of confrontation, his shadow enters the room first, which yeah. I just thought was really cool visually and also metaphorically. Uh, and then she also, again, has her leg up with the same, you know, anklet uh, on and, and presenting in the same way. So just yeah, like a, just a lot work of that time. Yes, exactly. Uh, just a lot of cool stuff like that that I, I really, really like. Uh, yeah, I, I, I struggled for a while to try and make a connection between the title Double Indemnity and then him doubling mm. the dead man as a way to be protected against mm -hmm. being caught. I don't yep. know if that's intended or if I'm just making that up um, because I have seen plenty of people on Twitter make stuff up about movies and have the director go, well, no, that's not what I meant at all. Um, <clears throat> so who knows? But I, once I knew he was doubling him, I was like, maybe that's why the title has double. My wife is not a fan of the title of this movie, um, <laughs> but uh, it's okay. Um, but I did love it. Uh, any more observations or do we need to move into the super secret double feature? I like at the end when she's uh, trying to woo him in again and he just says, that's cute. Tell it again. Yeah, uh, <laughs> he's so over it. I love the lines of this movie. I'm sorry, I could just go on about them. No, go ahead. Let's uh, let's talk about super secret double feature. Be very very quiet. Secret? What secret? A dirty little secret. I tell you something I've never told anyone. All right. So I did see one person in the chat say one of the ones I'm not going to use. Um, but while I was watching this movie, the movie I kept thinking of most, and I'm not using this as my double feature, was Basic Instinct. Um, <clears throat> Just because, uh, I mean, Basic Instinct is a clear noir uh, thriller. Uh, there is a huge element of sex being a driving factor in confusing our protagonist and his motivations. Um, but I felt like that was a little on the nose, just like I felt like Dial M for Murder or Strangers on a Train were a little on the nose. Mm -hmm. And you know how I like to not be on the nose. I like to be somewhere yeah. on the cheek. Or maybe on the Especially forehead. in this movie where it's about not seeing the nose in front yes. of your face. Yeah. Uh, and so what I'm going to go with for my super secret double feature is Gus Van Sant's To Die For. Mm. Um, with Nicole Kidman and a breakout Joaquin Phoenix performance. I believe this was 1995. Um, and she plays an ambitious wannabe reporter. Works her way up to Weather Girl. Um, <clears throat> and does a segment at the local high school and recruits two students, including Joaquin Phoenix, to be part of a segment. Her husband doesn't want her to pursue this anymore, and she very quickly decides to kill him and sleeps with Joaquin Phoenix and convinces him to kill her husband for her. Uh, and in the end, no one really gets out of it okay. Um, both the husband dies, she dies, and the Joaquin Phoenix goes to prison forever. Um, and so I just felt like there were way too many parallels in the story and the themes. Now, tonally, it's a little different. It's a little more comic thriller. Um, and I think it handles the balance pretty well. Um, but uh, 
yeah, in terms of the themes and you know, using sex to get somebody to help me kill my husband um, because I want this ambition, uh, make promises about we'll be together afterwards, uh, just too much in, in common. And that is a little bit more obscure movie than Basic Instinct. So that's my to super To die for, Double right? Three. I'm sorry? What did, what did you say to die for? To die for. Yeah. 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 It yeah. Was... I haven't seen that one in a while, but I remember thinking it was good. 1995, I was correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It's 65 on Rotten Tomatoes, so I haven't seen it in a while either. But, um, yeah, that's my double feature. Uh, just uh, one more thing I wanted to mention. Uh, the terrible wig that Barbara Stanwyck is wearing in this movie is so bad that it's like part of the legend of this movie. Mm -hmm. uh, and Billy Wilder would talk about, uh, you know, that they almost – Try to pretend that it was intentional. <laughs> in I believe uh, what I read was that he at first claimed it was intentional and uh -huh. eventually yeah. just came clean. Um, <laughs> it's so bad. Yeah, it's distracting, but it is. It is. I also love that that one scene where he tries to uh, get him to do take over his job. The boss gets tries to take him, uh, and he's like, "How do you feel about a you know a fifty dollar cut in pay?" <laughs> and and his response is, "No, I don't want that." And the guy's like, "His response to that is." But you'll have to work so much harder. Like that's an like that's a plus somehow. It's like you get to work harder and make less money. Why are you not for this? And he's selling it so well. I don't yeah, know. He's that's a so good funny. salesman, yeah. even though he's not the salesman. That is correct. All right. So your homework for next week, everybody, um, chosen by me. I, I felt I went so heavy last week, with mm -hmm. all out. I wanted to go light, uh, so I'm going with 2009's Adventureland. Um, this stars Jesse Eisenberg and Kristen Stewart and Ryan Reynolds. Uh, Kristen Wiig, Bill Hader, and Martin Starr are all in this film. It is a pretty straightforward coming of age, uh, going from teenagehood to adulthood, uh, love, sex, drugs, skipping school, that kind of stuff. I don't actually think he skipped school. This takes place in the summer. Um, <clears throat> but I've seen this several times, and it is a, a warm place for me to go. I just uh, I connect to so many of these characters. Um, and you can watch this for free in two places, on YouTube and on Pluto TV. Uh, and then it is available for rent on almost all the major streaming services. Uh, so again, it is Adventureland. Uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing that again. It's been about five, six years for me. You ever seen it? I have, but it has been a while. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm looking for, I think it's been long enough that, you know, uh, my movie taste has evolved. So I'm, I'm interested in watching it with new eyes, uh, right. for sure. That's, that's a very nice way of saying you don't remember liking it. I don't remember liking it, but I don't right. remember hating it either. I just, I remember watching it and go, oh, that was, that was funny. You it's know, okay. Under the so. show, you know, it, it's okay if this show, one of its hosts, doesn't end up liking a movie. Um, you know, we're not gonna bat a thousand for forever. It's uh, true. Just mathematically not possible. Um, <laughs> all right, let's dive into some questions, and sure. uh, then we'll let everybody get off to lunch. Question. Question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I am listening. What sports event would you like to see made into a feature film? Uh, I was thinking about this, and I don't know if this qualifies as a sports event, but I really think there has to be a way. Like, the ending of this movie would be so good, there has to be a way to make it. Do you remember Jason McElwain? Does that name ring a bell to you? Jason who? 
McElwain. Jason McElwain was a functioning autistic kid who played on a basketball team. Um, this probably was a couple decades ago, maybe 15 years ago, something like that. All right. And he played on the team, always sat the bench, um, but he was on the team all year long. At the very last, I think it's last game of the season, it's a very Rudy kind of story, which got me thinking about sports movies and that kind of thing. Coach puts him in, and the real-life story is he airballs a three-pointer, misses another shot, and then hits six three-pointers in a row, scores 20 points oh in the final several minutes of this game, and the place just goes nuts, carries him off the court. Like, just one of those real feel-good stories, and I just don't feel like... Like, if you haven't seen this video uh, either ever or recently highly recommend go checking out him hitting all those threes and just how the place just explodes every time and just this kid who you know never got in just becoming a sports hero um so it's like rudy if rudy ran for five touchdowns you know what i mean like it's, wow it's, it's well, amazing just, stuff. this is not my answer but you just made me think of jim abbott that uh, mm. picture from the yeah. 90s yeah who, i don't know how to say this correctly he did not have full use of his right arm mm -hmm. um uh but he would he, he came up with a very unique way of holding his glove there and mm -hmm. pitching and then eventually pitched a no hitter um mm -hmm. but there's already been a movie about a no hitter and it wasn't very entertaining to me uh with kevin Costner. i like that movie but it's probably because uh, it's the tiger. tigers yeah that's what i figured <laughs> um but i think for my answer today i'm gonna go with something um relatively Reason. I actually have two answers. Uh, there's a golfer on the female tour named Rose Zhang. Um, she's still in college, I think, technically. She won the last two college champ championships individual, turned pro this year, and won the very first tournament she played in, which is unheard of. Tiger Woods came in like 90th in his first golf tournament ever. Now, I think he won the sixth tournament he played in. Uh, but for her to win the very first tournament she ever played in is something that I don't think the world has ever seen. And I'm kind of interested in her story. The other thing I thought of uh, was to do some kind of an Aaron Brockovich style film about how they finally got Florida to ban dog racing, which in my opinion, now my aunt and uncle adopted a couple of former racing greyhounds and they learned a lot about that particular industry and how terrible it is, especially to the dogs. Um, so they can't do that anymore in Florida. They banned it and they need to do that with horse racing too. But I think that could be interesting too. Um, but we'll see. Now let's see. Aaron is right. For the love of the game is great. You're wrong, Patrick. The 2004 Red two Sox. two versus one. That means we're right, Jeremy. Don't you know how math works? The 2004 Red Sox has already been made into a movie with Jimmy Fallon and um, Drew Accidentally, Harrell. right? That wasn't originally. Yes, <laughs> yes. it was amazing. a complete accident. But seeing them run around on the field after they won was really, uh -huh. that was really awkward. I did not like that. Um, yeah. Do esports count? Mm, interesting. They should, because I would love to see a docudrama about Shanghai Dragons in Overwatch League. Now, I understand all of those words individually, but together in that <laughs> sentence... I do not understand that. The Cubs World Series, yeah, that would be really good. Just don't. That was wild, man. All the things that happened in that Cubs series. Oh, my the goodness. back and forth. Yeah. Yeah, just tell that story without having to mention Bartman anywhere in it, please. Yeah. Um, I think you can say he was missing his left hand. Okay, thank you, Dave. Uh, I just didn't want to step on any landmines there. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I'd love an Adam McKay-style movie about Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhinney's purchase of Wrexham. Well, we're kind of getting a documentary series about that. I love that docu-series. Yeah, the first season's great. I'm sure it's amazing, but that's the reason they bought that club. Yeah, I don't doubt it. Okay. Um, Glenn Burke was openly gay and got railroaded out of the league because of it. Uh, I'm pretty sure he also invented the high five. That's a good one. Um, The Bartman game. Thank you. Patrick, you've been very helpful today weighing in. (laughs) Appreciate your presence. Uh, Let's go on to another question. After the success of West Side Story remake, what is another musical you would like to see them try to do a less problematic remake of? (laughs) How many problematic musicals do we have to choose from here? Uh, you know, what's interesting is I totally missed the musical part of this question, Awesome! but I still did list a musical in one of my three possible answers. And that would be, that would be Greece. Um, Oh yeah. Good call. Uh, Greece is so like the, the energy of it, the song of it, the, the era of it is all fun and exciting. It is just super problematic with the way it deals with teenage sexuality and especially the gender roles uh involved in that the the whole point of the musical seems to be to change who you are uh to um uh get the man you want um so yeah it's it's icky in a lot of ways uh but uh but yeah i do i do like i do like the energy of it so that would be my answer yeah guys and dolls has kind of got some of that like problematic energy between men and women and how mm-hmm. they view them sure. um but i'm i ended up going with the easy one holiday inn which is a bing crosby <laughs> yes. front of stereo movie where they actually have a performance in blackface um <clears throat> that's not the only musical that, that does that nope. um but that was the one that i chose um yeah somebody in the chat wanted to go with greece little shop of horrors not that it's problematic all the jerks get their comeuppance, but I wanted to bring it up because it's awesome. Yeah, it is. Is Jaws 2 a musical? No, I don't believe so. Not from <laughs> well, what I'm, I mentioned uh, Ace Ventura, I think, is the biggest example of this to me. The transphobia in Ace Ventura is so bad and oh, yeah. so terrible. And I just think it's a really funny movie. Otherwise, I just I wish there existed a version that just wasn't so terrible. It's just well, terrible. Like, well, uh, I was talking with Jonathan a year or two ago when I was watching Soap Dish. Um, yeah. It's a great movie that just at the end goes really transphobic. And yeah. It mars the whole thing. Yep. All right. Uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival's Vietnam song has been used so much in movies that as soon as I hear that guitar, I picture Hollywood actors in a helicopter. <laughs> what are your predictions for songs that future generations will say, eh? Oh, ugh, in a montage of 2020s cliche, ding. <laughs> uh, I have no idea. This 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 question is so outside of my wheelhouse. Um, I just don't interact with music in that way. Um, I'm going to go for my choice, uh, the down-tempo, very contemplative version of Baby Shark uh, will be <laughs> the future version of why are we doing this so much. So, Like that... Uh trailer for this oh you don't watch trailers the trailer <laughs> for the social network had um Creep oh it's yeah it's Radiohead. a very common thing every movie is doing it now there yeah. was a great parody for avatar the way of water somebody set the avatar way of water uh trailer to like a dramatic down tempo version of uh eiffel 65's blue um it, it was I, I thought it was great well, i, I love they do that, that but it's not just a trend. I think we've talked about this before, but mm-hmm. um, 
is that if they use a cover song in a trailer or in a film, it's cheaper for them than if they use the original song. So they get somebody to cover it. Right. And, yeah. and then slow it down, add a child's choir, what have you. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm, look, something I didn't prep in the answers is um, Mr. Brightside by The Killers, because that has the distinction. It has a very weird distinction of being basically the most charting song in the UK. I think it charted for maybe 15 or 20 years, just an absurd length of time. It may still be charting. Uh, so that suggests it may end up getting used in uh, media a lot. Um, but the one I wrote down was um, Circles by Post Malone, just because uh, I hear that everywhere I go, and it's a nice catchy boop, 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 boop. And I think I could see that working its way into transitions in television shows and it's a good mood song but i yeah. thought that was an interesting question even yeah, though no not doubt. really an easy one to answer no. um somebody says something like blurred lines um yeah or i love it yeah i think that may be a good a good answer um 21 pilots yes oh man that seems likely yeah they're they That's seem already kind of the case there's a lot yeah. of 21 pilot stuff that ends up in stuff they are, are they the biggest, fastest rising U.S. band, rock band? I think they have to be. Um, I don't know. Anyway, um, The weekend, Blinding Light, good answer there. All right, let's do one more and then go sure. to lunch. Will you go to lunch? Well, who's a director you would like to talk to about a topic completely unrelated to film, and what is that topic? This was not a difficult one for me. I want to hang out with Damien Chazelle, and oh, yeah. I want to talk about his fascination and his focus on is excellent slash excellence slash immortality worth it every single movie he's done plays with this theme of the idea of is doing something excellent worth the destruction and pain to get there from you know whiplash to first man mm. uh to babylon most recently even la la land is about this like the mm -hmm. idea of pursuing your career and the destruction it leaves on a relationship or you know whatever it might be he just seems really interested in this idea of excellence and its value and is the darkness under greatness worth the greatness um mm. And I would I would love to have that conversation with him because it, it just seems like such a theme for him in all of his movies. You know, I can have that conversation with me. No, <laughs> it's not. Um, it's funny that I see so many people mentioning Christopher Nolan, even the ones that are joking, um, because that's who I chose. I want to talk to him about time, aging, perception, existence. Every single one of his movies, either structurally or topically, deals with time in a unique way. Memento mm -hmm. plays backwards, and a man has a short-term memory. Um, insomnia, it's daylight all the time, and Al Pacino can't adjust, and his entire sleep schedule gets off. Uh, in Prestige, everything plays out of sequence to you. And we get to Dunkirk, oh, Inception, I skipped over the biggest one that deals with time. Uh, and then Dunkirk has the time thing where three different stories are taking place in different... So I just feel like this is one of his obsessive... Uh, mind topics that he dwells on constantly. Even Batman Begins plays out of sequence for the first half of the movie. And I think there's got to be a core Christopher Nolan DNA reason why he keeps going back to that. Yeah. And I, I want to, I want to find out, I want to poke holes and see. Mm -hmm. uh, but I thought that was a really good question. Yeah, I agree. Uh, over in the chat, go have a pint with Edgar Wright. Can't go wrong with that. Um, talk to James Gray about father-son relationships. Boy, howdy. 
that's going to be a heavy conversation. (laughs) Um, Talk with Wes Anderson about art, PTA, talk about music. Those are excellent answers. I want to talk to Tom Hanks about Star Trek. Okay. <laughs> Is that Ian with the, no, oh, that's Nick. He's on. He's here. I want to steal Jeremy's answer. Yeah, you do. Uh, Michael Bay, 16th century poetry. <laughs> this is why the chat uh, adds to the quality of this content um, because they come up with awesome stuff like that. I would love it if Michael Bay actually had a lot to say about 16th century poetry. Like you throw it out there as, as some sort of like, you know, joke. And he's like, no, no, no. Let me tell you about I mean, some of my favorite 1500s I love when poems. celebrities have some wealth of obsession mm-hmm. or knowledge about something. Yeah. Like when I first learned Steve Martin was one of the best um, uh, banjo players in the world. I was right. like, no, he's not. What the heck are you talking about? No, he really is. <laughs> he really um, is. All right, everybody. That's going to do it for episode 76. Your homework is Adventureland, free on Pluto TV and YouTube. Thanks again to the chat are coming out and watching listening live and giving you their input along the way uh thank you aaron uh and we'll see you guys next week have a good day see you be a part of the live show by being a member of the sin club at patreon at patreon.com slash cinema sins chat with us on the cinema sins discord at discord.gg slash cinema sins or cinema sins twitter at cinema sins and email any comments or questions to recotopia at cinema that's r-e-c-o-t-o-p-i-a at cinema I'm surprisingly upbeat today. Not surprisingly as though I have reasons to be down. I just am not usually this upbeat on a Tuesday at 11. Even oh. though, when the coffee lady was like, you're in a good mood. And I was like, well, I can't explain it. <laughs> Can a guy just out of the bed? Be happy? I read just this morning that uh, there's a Kroger south of Nashville in the Cool Springs area, which I'm assuming you've seen signs for in your drives up and down. 65. Cool Springs? Yeah. Oh, I've been to Cool Springs. I think there's an Andy's Frozen Custard there. Okay. That's an interesting uh, landmark. Um, <laughs> well, it's so from here. It started here, and it's like all oh, over okay. the country okay. now. So yeah. I, that makes that makes a little more sense. Not even any humans. They just mm. use video tracking to see what you put in your yeah, basket. They've, they've got those at the airport now. You Do they walk, really? You just walk in, take stuff, and walk out. It's it's like it's wild, and then a receipt pops up in your email. It's, in, it's you're, from Amazon. What's that? From Amazon? From whoever the store is. Yeah, I think it might be Amazon or. or well, I know Amazon owns Whole Foods. So that's how I was assuming it was done. It was that if you have an Amazon Prime account, you can walk into this store and walk out with whatever you want and it'll bill your Amazon. Account. I don't remember if it was Amazon or not. I just, I remember I used one at the airport. It was the freakiest experience. I just that's walked in, grabbed some peanut MMs in a water and walked out and got a receipt just a few moments that's later. I mean, that's got to be where we're going. But man, the first time I paid for something with my watch by holding it up to the <laughs> pin pad, I, I felt like I was a little bit in the future. I think I'm in the future. Cool. But again, it wouldn't take me any more time to pull my card out of my pocket than it would to pull my phone out. Of you my don't pocket. think so? Like, if I got to pull my card out of my wallet, I got to pull my wallet out. Then I got to, like, you know, pull the little thing that pulls the cards out. Then I got to find the card I want to use. Then I've got to, you know. Well, wait. I just have a money clip. So. And the, and the top card, I have a money clip, and the top card is my main card, uh-huh. right? And there's this little push-in, bloop, and uh-huh. it's, it takes me a second and a half to pull that card out. Right. Um, well, so it, save, so it would save a second and a half. 
I'm going to a uh, professional disc golf tournament next week. Wild, like those ones on YouTube you used to send me? Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, where? In, I guess in your state? Uh, no, I'm going with a friend, so I'm going to go to his house first, and then we're going to go. It's about an hour and a half from his house. It's just south of Cincinnati. It's Burlington, Kentucky. Um, and uh, Idlewild is the name of the tournament, but it's one of the main you know, 15 tournaments on the tour or whatever, so all the big players will be there, and... Yeah, it'll be That's fun. That's awesome. Yeah. You're going to recognize, like, you're still really into this, right? Oh, you I'm watch super regularly? into this. I watch all the big tournaments, okay. uh, you know, know all the players. Um, the quote-unquote Tiger Woods of disc golf, uh, the guy who kind of just, like, dominated for a long time and uh, brought a lot more attention to it. His name is Paul McBeth. And he's on a tear right now, which he's kind of, you know, fallen behind some of the younger players, you know, recently. Um, but he's like won the last four tournaments he's entered, um, oh, wow. and, uh, and really just kind of dominated the competition over in, um, I want to say Norway at the European, uh, oh, interesting. uh, tour. So, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, it'll be interesting cause it comes, it comes at an interesting time where like this big name of disc golf is, you know, kind of had an off season and then is just making a big run right now. But, um. But yeah. So will you follow specific players or will you park at a hole? We we didn't everyone? get our tickets in time. Uh all the card follows were sold out. Um so we'll be in the regulated uh observation areas, which is quite a bit of the course. But if you're going to actually like cuz a lot of it's wooded, so there's not like you can't really spectate every cage. Um mm. so but if you have a VIP card follow pass, then you can get into some of those wooded areas and watch them, you know, play those holes as and well. And get ticks. So. And get ticks. <laughs> <laughs> they have another one that's like they give you 16 words and you have to figure out four different groups of four and how they relate. Ooh, that's and it right. Can up be my everything alley. From, yeah. What's that? Yeah. Right it could be alley. everything from like, you know, shorebirds to um mm -hmm. cat or, or underline cat so mm -hmm. like fat cat uh mm -hmm. alley yeah, cat right um anyway i think about you sometimes when i play those games <laughs> because i feel like oh if how I were, sweet if i were competing against you in them i would be getting owned um but that's the, not what it's spelling... for it's it's for yourself to like you know well, no, you're your right. brain a little bit the spelling bee game has different levels as you progress and your score goes from like uh, getting started to like nice to like good yeah. and it goes great awesome and or amazing and then genius and you can't score higher than genius but there's always like 20 or 40 words more beyond genius mm. and i i stop when i get to genius because that makes me feel smart and when i nice. check the next day it's almost always the rest of those words are almost always words i don't even know exist mm -hmm. um and so uh anyway I have rambled enough about word games, but uh, to my wife, it's just known as my word games. Nice. What are you doing? Playing my word games. <laughs> I used to play Wordle uh, for a while, and then um, there was uh, a Wordle that was like uh, four Wordles at the same time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And every guess you made, you guessed on all four, so you Wait. were playing them consecutively. There's also the, an eight. And the, Well, there was one that's uh 32 eventually oh, <laughs> it's just like 
what am I doing with my time right now? It was not even that complicated. Like, you know, there are some, there are great starting words that are going to get you there and, you know, no oh, time. Yeah. So I still play Wordle and I generally don't have a starting word because my stupid philosophy is if I have a set starting word, you're never going to get I'm it right the first time. <laughs> I'm mathematically less likely to guess it on the first guess. That's right. That's Whereas right. Whereas if I do a different word every day, I have Jeremy's a shot. like, I'm going to get a two for. I'm going to get two days in a row where I guess it on the very first guess. I'm going to I'm going to test my psychic abilities. Uh, one last thing. Mm -hmm. uh, you're feeling a pretty um, validated about Nolan's response about Inception. Right? You think like, I should not be? No, 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 no. I, I just wanted, I just wanted to chat about it a little bit. I think you should be. I think you should feel very validated. That's exactly what I think we have always said. Correct. At least Chris and I, and I think you. Yeah. That it, it does not matter. It doesn't matter. It's not the point. Right. It's, yeah. He's, he, he has an. I love the way he phrased it. Like there's an emotional conclusion, but it ends on an intellectual, you know, Correct. cliffhanger. Um, and, Which is uh, still fun to talk about. Like I still think absolutely. that stuff's fun to talk about and think about. But the point, you know, the point of the movie uh, isn't whether or not, uh, you know, he's exactly. still sleeping. Um, so, yeah. It's like people that watched the end of The Sopranos finale. Have you seen The Sopranos? Do you know how The Sopranos I know, finale? Uh, yeah, I, okay. I never watched The Sopranos, but I know every single thing about how it ends. <laughs> there should not have ever been any question. I mean, if you're watching No, it, live, it feels pretty obvious, yeah. First, The first airing, you could be like, what, is that a glitch? But once you know that that's the intended ending, there's no question how... You're supposed to interpret that. I always always felt the same way about Inception that it doesn't matter because he he's put all that behind him now. He just mm -hmm. wants to hang out with his kids. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I mean, and then I'm the secondary the secondary intellectual uh, you know conversation that I think is really fun is the point of the movie is he wants to be with his children. It doesn't matter if he's asleep or awake. Then the conundrum right. question for us is: Would it matter to you? You know, would it matter to you if it was a representation of joy and happiness or if it was real joy and happiness? Right. Uh, and that goes into simulation theory and all sorts of fun, interesting places. But I think so. you could argue that he's had so much sadness. <laughs> there may not even be a difference for him. Well, it's like, point. it's like, uh, what's his name in Matrix being like, I just want the steak, man. I just want to yeah. eat steak. <laughs>